Here at the Making the Brand podcast, we love music. You know I've had multiple episodes about marketing lessons inspired by music, like the copywriting message in the Backstreet Boys song, As Long As You Love Me, or my first episode about brand DNA inspired by Lizzo's hit single, Truth Hurts. Well, today we're doing an even deeper dive on music and the storytelling takeaways we can learn from songwriting and song lyrics. I'm so excited to introduce to you Wes Gay, another Twitter friend who so graciously agreed to chat with us today. Wes is a former Forbes contributor, TEDx speaker, and storytelling expert. He's the owner of Wayfinder, an agency that helps companies clarify their message. He uses Donald Miller's story brand framework, which you may have read about in his book, Building a Story Brand. Wes recently tweeted about the NBC show Songland and how every copywriter should watch it. If you're unfamiliar with Songland, it's a songwriting competition where four unknown songwriters present their original songs to superstar artists. The artist then chooses three of the songwriters to move on to the next round, where they'll work with a professional songwriter to tweak and improve their songs based on their expertise. Then, the artist picks his or her favorite and turns it into one of their singles. Musicians who have recorded songs from Songland include John Legend, Megan Trainer, Lady Antebellum, Charlie Puth, and One Republic. In fact, one of the professional songwriters starring on the show is Ryan Tedder, who sits alongside Shane McAnally and Esther Dean. All three are incredibly talented songwriters who have produced so many hits we know and love. I don't know about you, but I think learning about brand storytelling through songwriting has got to be the most fun option we have as marketers. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Welcome to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between. Because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. I am so excited to have Wes Gay with us. Thanks to Twitter, again, I keep coming in contact with all these smart people on Twitter. So welcome, Wes. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So since this is actually the first time we're meeting face-to-face, I would love to learn more about you and get more on your background as well as my listeners. So give us your elevator pitch. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I run a marketing agency, live outside of Atlanta, Georgia, where we help people understand and implement what's called the story brand framework. Not forget with story brand, it's based off a book called Building a Story Brand where we take seven fundamental elements of storytelling to help people in their marketing and their communications. Most businesses of all sizes, and it's not, the, it's, not lo- it's not your kind of small business in town, global brands struggle with this too, they don't know how to talk about themselves in a way that people care. And so we help people using storytelling as the foundation to, for content, brand marketing, or brand positioning, brand messaging, and then we get on the nitty-gritty stuff, websites, lead generation, email, all that stuff. But it really comes down to what are we trying to say? And can we get the right message to the right people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've read Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. I mm-hmm. love that book and just how you can just clarify your message, stay simple. I know he talks a lot about the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in there. So if you haven't read it, go ahead and, and read that. I actually read the audio book, so you can listen to it too. Um, I will say on that, it is one of the few business books that doesn't waste your time. I've read yeah. so many business books where I get done and I'm like, that could have been half as long <laughs> and I would not have lost anything. I've read some books that everybody rave about, everybody rave about. I'll get through it and I'm like, you could have cut out 150 pages of that and not lost a thing. Yeah. Like, why and are I, we so excited about this? <laughs> right. And I think it's a testament to what the story brand framework is. It's mm-hmm. you know usually about less is more, kind of stripping things down, getting straight to the point, being direct. So even the book is, is like that too. <laughs> it is. It is. So I really appreciate your perspective because you have this storytelling background and you pointed out on Twitter that Songland has a lot of takeaways for marketers and copywriters. So I want to know how long you've been watching Songland and if you immediately found a connection to brand storytelling. 
Yeah, I started watching it season one, so 2019 when it first came out. It's just a super interesting premise. I mean, I'm a, I've been a musician for 25 years. Parents are musicians. Sister is a music teacher. Like, it just runs deep. So I, I have my undergrad degree is actually in music. And so I've always been around music. I've always played music, you know, kind of studied it. And so this was such an interesting take on a music television show. We're, we're used to the singing competitions and all that. But I started watching it last year thinking, this is such a fascinating look at the process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I instantly made a connection to marketing and copywriting and kind of brand storytelling, but eventually I did. And it actually came, NBC also had a show in 2019 called Bring the Funny. And it was a, it was a comedy series with, or comedy show with um, uh, Keenan um, ah. from SNL. I'm drawing a blank. Keenan, I, I still think of him as Good Burger. Yeah, right? Keenan Thompson. Uh, yeah. Keenan Thompson. I almost said Keenan Williams, but it's Kel Williams and Keenan Thompson. Yeah. Um, I still think a good burger. And then that uh, was him and Keenan and Kel. So it's him, it was Chrissy Teigen and, J- and Jeff Foxworthy were judges on this comedy show. Wow. And I, it actually, what I actually made me think about it was Jeff Foxworthy, who is the best selling comedian of all time, right? He sold millions and millions of comedy records. I mean, he's one of the most famous comedians in history. I remember specifically watching an episode and he talked about the, um, he, he gave somebody credit or gave, told them how good their premise was. And he went on that. He said, if you have a really strong, a really good premise, then it's really easy to build a much easier to build a bit, or, bit around it, especially if it's the premise that's relatable to your audience. And so that just kind of got me thinking. I thought, well, isn't that kind of what marketing and copywriting is? Is being able to define a really clear premise. And then at the same time, so it was like Songland, I think it was on Mondays at the time, and Bring the Funny is maybe Tuesday. So back to back nights, I'm watching these shows, and it hit me all of a sudden early in the season. Now, wait a second. Both of these things are about the same idea, which is how do we find a really clear, strong, compelling premise? Uh-huh. Great, great routines. Like I love Jim Gaffigan, the comedian. Some of his bits, the reason they're so funny to me is because I'm a dad. He's a dad. Some of the other things that he talks about are just so funny mm-hmm. because they're, they're a, it's based on an idea or a topic that I can relate to, but it's a really specific, really well thought out idea. It took him a lot of work to get there. Right. Same thing in songwriting. So eventually, I thought, wait a second. That's really what marketing is. That's what advertising is, campaign, marketing campaigns, et cetera. If you can figure out that the the right premise, and if you can figure out that thing that is uh, the phrase I use is specifically universal, like it's a very specific thing, but it's something that's understood and felt by a lot of people that uh-huh. creates broad appeal, then you're going to draw more people in, and more people are going to buy into what you're selling. Yeah, I I had a, an interesting podcast that I listened to that really dug into the word premise, and I found it so compelling because it was even comparing it to personal branding and. I think the episode was about starting your own podcast or starting your own blog. And the speaker said, make sure your blog or your, your personal brand has a specific premise. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, how can I even take my own podcast and not just be another marketing podcast podcast, but give it a specific premise surrounding marketing. So that's where all this pop culture stuff comes in. And I, I think just the word premise, if you look at it that way, a lot of people can really define what they're going for if they just think about that word and try to come up with their own premise. Yeah. And we, you know, because I use a storytelling framework and when I teach it and when I help brands with it, I use a lot of mainly movies and TV shows and stories to explain, yes. Hey, this is how it relates. And uh, great movies have a really good, really strong premise. Mm-hmm. Um, great movies have, you know, for example, there's a, there's an exercise that we work help with companies called the one liner exercise. And that comes mm-hmm. from the move film industry where, if a screenwriter has, a, has an idea for a screenplay, for a movie or a TV show, they have to create a pitch. Business office, office often calls it an elevator pitch. But in the one-liner, you have to have that really, a two-hour movie has to be distilled into like one to two sentences. And one of the ones I heard recently that I was, I was looking at is John Krasinski, who many of us know and love. He's now the anchor of Some Good News on YouTube. Yes. Um, but his okay. has a long, really interesting resume. He was talking about uh, a Quiet Place, the film that he wrote and directed and co-starred with his wife. Mm-hmm. And he said somebody came to him with the idea and said all they told him was it's a horror movie where the family can't talk to each other and you don't know why. And that's all he heard about it. He was like, I'm in. Yeah. What do we need to do? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because it had a really strong, compelling premise. The reason I think stories or sometimes movies go awry is they don't have that clear – in writing, we often call it a controlling idea. Like what's the mm-hmm. central core – fundamental thing that you're trying to convey and then you can build out from there in right. marketing and especially copywriting the more specific you get with that 
I think the more opportunity it creates to expand your creativity, but you've got to work really hard to define the box and get really specific up front. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think at least going back to the, the story brand framework, I know they talk about the hero mm -hmm. and positioning yourself, your brand as the guide, helping your customer through whatever their conflict is. And I think a lot of times when we're making content, people or brands shy away from painting a picture of the conflict because it doesn't seem sexy or cool to really talk about your customer's frustrations or what they're going through. I think the more that you can touch on conflict and that problem, it actually gives you more opportunity to write something that makes it clear that you are the solution. You know? Yeah. I mean, in, in, in movies, we pay attention when there's tension. Right, right. right. I mean, the reason that we spent $20 billion seeing what happens to Thanos over the course of 10 years <laughs> is ah. because when you think about it, he was introduced at the very end of Avengers 2012. Mm -hmm. And we pretty well knew how it was going to end with Avengers Endgame. Like, we didn't yeah. know exactly. We knew, spoiler alert, he was going to die. <laughs> we knew that was coming. Mm -hmm. But think about all those films. We spent two point whatever billion dollars at the box office watching Endgame. Like we knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. We didn't know how we were going to get there, but it was that it was that lingering tension, that ever-present problem that kept us engaged. And the same thing is true in marketing. People pay attention to problems. People pay attention to challenges. Mm -hmm. And the more we call those out and the more we define those, then the more likely people are to pay attention and do business with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't think of any movie that never had a, a conflict or a problem. There would be no story there. But exactly. there are a lot of, at least I know I do, and, and people all over do it, we turn to songs and song lyrics to help us get through our own problems. And we turn to music as our, our safe place to just overcome whatever we're going through. Um, but I, I think we forget to look at lyrics as... Uh, an example of storytelling and copywriting. But yeah. I was recently reading this book. It was called How to Write Short by Roy Peter Clark. And he had an entire episode, or an entire chapter, excuse me, talking about how there are so many amazing stories in lyrics. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are the biggest similarities you see between songwriting and copywriting? Yeah, the biggest thing is great songs are really specific. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who many of us know and love and have read his books and listened to his podcast, he had a podcast episode, I think it was two years ago, mm -hmm. on the, the, his premise was, why is country music so sad? Mm -hmm. Out of all the other genres, it is the saddest of them all. <laughs> um, and then his, 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 where he kind of landed was, it's very specific. So he, he found a list somewhere, I forget where he found it of like the saddest country music songs of all time. And there's some, mm -hmm. there's some strong ones in there, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, yeah. It's yeah, like, it's Go Rest High on That Mountain by Vince Gill. But the number, the, the saddest song of all time was He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. Mm -hmm. And that whole song is about the reason he stopped loving her today is because he died. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's brutal. <laughs> right in the heart. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's like, but that song is so specific. And then he said, you compare it to sad songs like in rock and roll music, you got songs about like Wild Horses by the Rolling Stones that said Wild Horses couldn't drag me away. How many people have been drug away by a wild horse? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's an approximate zero yeah. in the last 150 years, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, but we've all had people we've known who have died. We've all had mm -hmm. those experiences. So it's, it's the relatability of, of specificity, right? The more mm -hmm. specific, and this is the irony in marketing, the more specific you are, the more you're going to attract people because what happens in our world where we get, you know, the one stat that gets thrown out there a lot is there's three to 5,000 commercial messages a day that we all encounter between advertising and marketing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't account for all of the non-marketing communications we engage with social media, email, you know, internet streaming, TV, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's really no time to be vague anymore because as I'm reading something, as you're encountering something where we don't have time to wonder, is this for me? I don't mm -hmm. know. Like, yeah. do I have to become a PhD in this brand to figure <laughs> out if this is right for me or not? Yeah. So I think the, one of the biggest things is being specific. The more specific you are in a song, the clearer you are in a song, the more people are going to resonate with it. I think, I think too, uh, marketing is an exercise in memorization. Mm. And so the great thing about songs is there's an economy of words that's also really important in copywriting. They, they can say a lot without saying, without using, without needing a lot of words. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things is with great songs, I mean, there are songs that were written 50, 60, 70 years ago that if you start playing it, everybody starts singing it. 
Right. You know, like I was watching the, I love the Kennedy Center Honors. I don't know why. I just love watching that. <laughs> uh-huh. And there was a clip several years ago and Paul McCartney was honored with that award. President Obama was still in office and he was there. Michelle Obama was there. Oprah got nom- was elected or nominated that year, got the award. And the room is filled with celebrities. Some you know, some you're, some you're like, that guy was in that thing. Yeah. You don't know who it is. <laughs> but so what they do with musicians, if you've never seen the special, is they'll have other musicians come out and sing that person's kind of greatest hit. Mm-hmm. And so they sang stuff from the Beatles. They sang stuff from his time with Wings. They sang stuff from time with his solo career. And when they started singing Hey Jude, that was when all of the musicians who had sung the medley had kind of come out. And the entire room is singing Hey Jude. Oprah, President Obama, John Lithgow, like all of these celebrities. Right? Mm-hmm. And that song was written in the 60s. Yeah. But it's this great thing of like, it's this exercise in memorization because you can say, oh, I'll sing a little. Wendy's right now, as we record this, is kind of getting made fun of because their Where's the Beef campaign from years ago. People still remember that. And they're mm-hmm. running out of beef right now yeah, because okay. of potential meat shortages. Mm-hmm. But marketing, just like songwriting, is an exercise in memorization. It's figuring yeah. out what is getting that message really condensed and tight and repeating it over and over and over so that people eventually associate your brand with the messages you're out. Nike would just do it, right? All these other ones mm-hmm. that brands do so well. Yeah, yeah, and it stays with you. I think that's why, you know, once you resonate with the song, it almost becomes part of who you are. You never forget it, and mm-hmm. it becomes a phenomenon where all these other people, you know, have this special story that, you know, makes them think of this song or the song makes them think of this moment in their life. Um, mm-hmm. But speaking of Hey Jude, I know you tweeted recently that you feel like Ryan Tedder is the Paul McCartney of our generation. Absolutely. Paul, uh, Ryan Tedder is, Tedder is one of the professional songwriters on Songland, helping these uh, newcomer songwriters really perfect their songs and improve them and hopefully turn them into a number one hit. So what do you like about both of their styles and what similarities do you see between Ryan Tedder and Paul McCartney? Yeah, those guys are multi-talented weapons. So it is hard to write song, like write songs just mm-hmm. on its own. Yeah. Um, it's also hard to write the music on its own. Like it's one thing to be a really talented musician. There's a lot of really talented musicians who are terrible songwriters. Uh-huh. There are a lot of really talented mu- songwriters who are terrible musicians. And then to both be good vocalists, yeah. And to have the versatility. I mean, you can't. Paul McCartney has written everything from Hey Jude and Yellow Submarine and Twist and Shout all the way to uh, Live and Let Die. It was a James Ooh. Bond thing. And then a million songs in between. Yeah. Ryan Tedder's written everything from, I mean, he's also the lead singer of One Republic. So he's obviously written everything, but maybe one song for One Republic, but he's written stuff for Adele. He's mm-hmm. written stuff for, he wrote um, Bleeding hey. Love by Leona Lewis. He's written. He's written for tons of folks. And so I love how they're able, they're, they adapt, they're, they're, multi, they're multi-talented, but their adaptability is really impressive. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. They are legitimate geniuses. And watching Ryan Tedder work, even in the snippets on Songland, like I'm a musician, so I understand what he's talking about when he comes to music and composition and stuff like that. But it's like he just, he just does it like this. And Paul McCartney right. is the same way. And Paul McCartney is one of the all-time greats in terms mm-hmm. of music, I think, in history. Yeah. And I think Ryan Tedder is really underappreciated because he's been, I think, so much of his time behind the scenes and he's never been in a band as big as the Beatles were. Right, right. But the dude's a genius. I mean, there's just no way around it. You can just see, at least on Songland, you can just see the gears turning when the contestant is singing. They won't even Mm -hmm. be finished. And he always reaches behind him, grabs his guitar, and he's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do with Mm -hmm. this. Like that. It's, it is just genius. I could never do it. <laughs> it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. And it's like, that's one of the reasons, at least in like in my world of marketing, uh, when you occasionally will run across people, I mean, frankly, Donna Miller, who wrote Booting a Store Bands this way, mm-hmm. where he spent so many years and he's so good at what he does, like the stuff he can just come up with like this, is it 100% on the fly? Is it, is, it at, is it at 100% in terms of when he does on the fly? No. Is it 90%? Yeah. Is his 90% better than most people's 100%? By a long shot. Wow. Right. Yeah. Same thing with Ryan Tedder. And the same thing I think with Paul McCartney is their, their ability and their, their understanding of their craft is just unparalleled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of songs, I, I know on Songland, I'm pretty guilty of shedding a tear every now and then. Just- yeah. Not only from the lyrics, but just seeing these 
you know, aspiring songwriters come in mm -hmm. on this past episode, I think you saw with Martina McBride. Yeah. One of the girls, uh, Haley said, this is it. She doesn't have a plan B like mm -hmm. songwriting is, is her thing. And you could tell even, even when uh, she was singing her final song, Martina McBride started choking up. Yeah. That ultimately was the song that she chose. It's songs that make us feel something that really means something to us. So are there any, um, wh what role do you see emotions playing in brand storytelling and copywriting? So you know it's prevalent in yeah. song. Where does that I come mean, it's, it's critical. I think too often we think people make buying decisions based on kind of surface level issues, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is what we're talking about on StoryBrain all the time. In stories, there's always an external problem. So like in the Avengers, Thanos is the problem. Mm -hmm. We all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also these internal problems too. And that's where the story gets really interesting. Like the story with, if you had said 15 years ago that the nine of the top 10 movies of all time for the box office would be from Disney and several of those would be about superheroes that you'd never heard of, yeah. you would have thought people were nuts. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then we all got emotionally involved and people cried when Iron Man died. Mm -hmm. but sorry, again, spoiler alert, we're yeah. a year out from an end game. You should have seen it by now. Um, but people cried. People got upset when Spider-Man got was a victim of the snap in 2019 right or 2018 with infinity war i think people get caught up in the emotions of it and the same thing is true with brands like people get emotional about or people respond to engaging with their emotions and what that really is is a matter and exercise of going a level deeper mm -hmm. and this can happen in any brand so like you know for example if it's a lawn care company if i was working with a lawn care company i wouldn't say anything about we cut your grass Right. I would deal with what are the internal struggles or kind of those emotional issues that reactions that people have when it comes to lawn care. Mm -hmm. Well, they're embarrassed because their lawn looks bad. They're frustrated because they don't have time to do it. They're overwhelmed by the responsibilities of life and they just can't get to it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, those are the kinds of things you speak to um, right. is, is, is calling out kind of the, when we talk about emotions, it's not always about making people cry. Although good songs, they want you to cry. I mean, that's yeah. kind of why they do it. <laughs> but the reality is too, they um, uh, they want you to be able to engage at a deeper level, and that's how we make buying decisions. That's how we respond. Mm -hmm. That's how we do. That's how we buy with brands. That's how we buy the songs, movies, etc. We are kind of wired to engage at that deeper level. And I apologize for mm -hmm. my listening. My dog is losing his mind, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I've got my dog here too. He's actually knocked out, which is rare. <laughs> He's the one yapping, so I totally, totally understand. Yeah, I mean, song, sad songs really kind of hit you. Um, it can just be really overwhelming from an emotional standpoint. But there are also so many upbeat, happy love songs mm -hmm. that take you back to your college days or yeah. you know, memories growing up that we just we cling on to, which I love. Yeah, um, and emotions doesn't always have to be sad, right? right. There's, there's a song on the Building a Story Brand podcast with Don Miller. He, a couple of years ago, interviewed a guy named Luke Laird. Luke mm -hmm. is a national songwriter. He's written 20-something number one songs. Uh -huh. And they, on that episode, break down the song Pontoons by uh, oh, Little Big Town, which is a great song. Yeah. And the whole thing is like trying to recall those times of being out on the lake, summertime. I mean, I've always lived in the South, and we've always lived kind of near a lake. We've always had friends who had boats and jet skis or whatever. Yeah. So that every a lot of people have that memory, and it kind of takes you, like you said, takes you back to that place. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he talks about an Eric Church song as a country singer about kind of going back to your hometown and going back to high school. And there's these songs that emotions don't always have to be like really sad to make you want to cry. Sometimes it could be just like taking you back to your place, making you feel good, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah, and I love how you touched on specificity in songwriting and in copywriting because I feel like when songs have like a specific line, you're able to envision it better than just this more generic um, aspect of hope or fun or yeah. love. Like it's like those really specific lines and we saw it on Songland this week. Martina McBride loved uh, a line that, that girl Haley proposed and it had something to do yeah. with cigarette cigarettes and a bottle, and a bottle of, whiskey. of whiskey yeah yeah and it's like you know she easily could have just painted this picture of falling down on hard times and like struggling but mm -hmm. she painted that specific picture of cigarettes and a bottle of whiskey and it's stuff like that that you can yeah. just envision and paint your own picture along with it mm -hmm. yeah so we touched on uh going a little bit deeper and trying to figure out what 
emotions you really need to speak to to talk to your target audience effectively in songwriting and in copywriting. But it can be kind of hard to analyze and predict what emotions your customers are feeling, right? We're not yeah. walking around with, you know, frustration written on our foreheads. It's not like <laughs> demographic research where we can just quickly see who's who and what's what. So how do you recommend we approach research as far as just trying to figure out what people are, are feeling and going through and how sure. we can speak to that? Well, there's a lot of ways. I mean, there's some things like talking to customers, one, mm -hmm. talking to your people who have already bought from you in business. Yeah. Um, looking at your reviews, looking at testimonials, things that people have already submitted. Sometimes you'll find a lot of gold in there that you can leverage yeah. and, and think about. Uh, but I'd say the biggest thing you can do is get people on your team and your company together, turn off all electronics, right? No laptops allowed, have whiteboards and post-it notes or sticky, you know, the, or the giant post-it pads, easels. Yeah. And just say, okay, who is our audience? And define who typically buys from you, right? Put it, mm -hmm. write it out. So this is the demographic stuff. And then get a little bit of psychographics, right? So, you know, if we are, for example, I'm working with a financial advisor right now. Mm -hmm. And one of his core audiences is executives in transition. Mm -hmm. So when I flew out to California last year to meet with him for a day to work with his team, I said, okay, who is that? So it's, you know, what is their, you know, we talked about age range, talked about the kinds of companies they probably work with, where they live and all that stuff. And then it was based, and then I just said, based on your conversations, what have they said to you? Right, mm -hmm. both current clients who fit that description, other people you have talked to fall in that category. And before long, he he knew what the answer was. Mm -hmm. He just usually requires somebody prompting you with questions or yeah. an outside an outsider's perspective to help you think about it, reframe it a little differently. I would say more than likely, you've got people in your company who know the answer and who know what your customer is dealing with. You there's probably just never been either one a space to talk about it or two there's never been an opportunity where you intentionally press pause and say, let's talk about this. What do we think our customers typically deal with? And then you can go to market with it, frankly, and test it. If you have, you know, this has happened before where we'll have kind of two different perspectives on what the story is or two different perspectives on what the internal challenges are, then you just test it. Maybe mm -hmm. you test it with Facebook ads or landing pages or et cetera. I mean, you never quite know what's going to stick until you try it, until you right. put it out there. I think one of the challenges with doing customer research, particularly for small to mid cap, small to mid medium businesses who don't have extensive resources to spend on customer research for a time, time, is we get paralyzed by the thought of, if I don't do extensive research, I'm going to get it wrong. The reality is, with how cheap it frankly is to build a landing page, build two of them, run A-B tests through Google Ads or Facebook Ads or whatever, mm -hmm. you can spend a lot less and learn a lot more by just taking a pretty educated guess at it and then testing it and seeing what resonates best. And then, you know, in this kind of, as we record this in the middle of this coronavirus thing and all that, it's also realizing you have to shift by specifically addressing what are the challenges that your audience faces right now. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to go after what their, their emotions and kind of the underlying issues, you have to first identify the challenge they face. So if you're right now selling to parents or selling to say adults in their thirties and forties, Mm -hmm. there's a pretty good chance, not always, but there's a pretty good chance. They're also having to play a uh, homeschool teacher and home IT support uh -huh. and they're balancing all this chaos, right? So all of a sudden, if you can put yourself in the perspective of your audience, you're going to pretty well have an idea of what they're struggling with. And at the end of the day, if you see everything through the lens of empathy and you think, how, what is my customer dealing with? How do we create that picture? How do we think about them? How, what, you know, what are they struggling with? What are their challenges or their obstacles? The more you think about them and lead and kind of think from a place of empathy, I think the better you're going to have as a result in terms of engaging with people at an emotional level. Yeah, absolutely. I love those tips. And I think it's, it's almost harder than songwriting because with songwriting, occasionally, or it tends to be the songwriters writing about themselves and what mm -hmm. they're going through and their experiences, where from a marketing standpoint, you you might not have anything in common with your target audience and you yeah. still have to put yourself in their shoes mm -hmm. and think like them and really do that research and channel, channel their emotions. Yep. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about Taylor Swift because she oh, is really known for uh, talking about her emotions and her songs mm -hmm. and her past breakups and things like that. I know the media always has a field day with that. But she's, she's one of my favorite songwriters, I think mainly yeah. because 
she are she and I are the same age, and I am just in awe of some of these lines <laughs> that she comes up with. I know I could never do it. Um, and Ryan Tedder actually called her a songwriting prodigy, and they worked together on a couple. Wow. Of but I want to know who is your favorite songwriter and why? Yeah, um, I don't know that I've got a single favorite one. I've got a few. Um, uh-huh. One guy that I've loved lately is Luke Combs, country singer. He's a young guy. Mm-hmm. I just love his stuff. Some of it is so tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny. He also has this like 90s country vibe, which is the music yeah. I grew up on. Uh, so I love him. Obviously, Paul McCartney. I mean, the guy has written songs that 60 years later, we're still singing. If you were in a public place and somebody starts playing Hey Jude and you get to the end, we're all singing Na 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 Hey Jude. Like we're all yeah. chiming. In. All of us are chiming. In. We didn't have any Beatles fans. We didn't have to know who wrote it. We're chiming. In. Um, you know, I love a lot of the stuff because I'm, I've been a guitar player for a long time. I've loved a lot of stuff that Dave Matthews has written, even though it doesn't always make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he's able to say some things really in a really interesting way. Um, again, guitar player, I love John Mayer, Brad Paisley's stuff. Yeah. Uh, also love Garth Brooks has either written or co-written a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And that guy is like the number one selling solo artist of all time across all genres. Yeah. Above Michael Jackson, above Elvis, above everybody is right. Garth Brooks. And again, he's written some songs that are just, they're so good. Yeah. Things like under, you know, the songs like unanswered prayers or things um, like, um, uh, the thunder rolls, right. Or, um, <laughs> friends in low places or right. all these other songs that so many of us know. And are just kind of ingrained in our culture, in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Garth Brooks is one. There's a guy in Australia, Joel Houston that I really like. Um, so yeah, I have several. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I saw this really interesting clip that someone put together on YouTube. It was a mashup of Mariah Carey in all of these interviews over her, her <laughs> she's been in uh, her career is over two decades long. She's been doing wow. this a while. Um, yeah, almost three decades actually. But in all of her interviews, it was this mashup and compilation of her just reiterating that she is not only a singer, but she writes all of her songs. And we kind of know her as this, incredible voice one of the best ever but she's always feeling this need to remind people that she's a songwriter mm-hmm. and all most of those songwriters that you just mentioned they're lucky enough to perform their own songs as well but i think there are so many songwriters who never really see a stage and they're just always yeah. writing behind the scenes do you think that songwriters get enough credit in general no they don't um i mean part of the challenge is there's there's not historically been a vehicle for them to get credit. Mm-hmm. There's a songwriters hall of fame. All the award shows have songwriter of the year, whether it's country or grant the Grammys or whatever. Uh, but frankly, up until the age of social media, there's just not been an outlet for us to get to know who songwriters are. Unless you get, unless you go to Nat live in Nashville and you go to places like the Bluebird cafe or some of these other places where songwriters typically hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I was in at a retreat in Nashville about a year and a half ago. And one of the things we did was go to a recording studio Mm-hmm. where they do corporate events. One of the things they do at the corporate event is they'll, they'll give you a tour and kind of tell you who all's been there, which is cool. Yeah. But they had a guy who's been a Nashville songwriter for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he's written a bunch of George Strait hits. And we actually, part of the deal was you get everybody together and you write a song. And ours was so ridiculous and so <laughs> stupid. But it was funny. And he helped us restructure, reframe it. It was really fascinating as an exercise. But there's just not been an outlet for songwriters. And I think, you know, we could spend hours talking about the challenges they faced with streaming they're not getting paid nearly as what they should with radio play down radio is where uh, people aren't realize i think taylor swift has made a unbelievable amount of money from her number one hits i had a guy tell me years ago that if a songwriter writes a number one country song that hits number one on the radio charts their first check as a songwriting royalty is usually in the mid six figures the first one yeah. <laughs> they got all these songs that Taylor Swift has written, like all these artists who are also songwriters or co-writers. Um, I mean, think about how much money Mariah Carey has made on All I Want for Christmas is You. Yeah. That one song, <laughs> she could buy an island at this point or a chain of islands. Yeah. If she hasn't already. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they do. And I don't, you know, most of us don't realize that there is peop- there are people behind our favorite performers. There are background singers who are as good or usually better than the person up front. There are songwriters who are uh, writing all the songs and co-writing songs with people like Kelly Clarkson and writing songs for people like, um, uh, you know, all these things, all big country singers or rock and roll or whoever, R&B or whoever it is. Uh, there's all these people behind it. And there's, again, up until the last social media, there's never been a platform. And up and really until Songland, 
I think that's not been part of the national conversation. So it's really fun to see these people who are super talented and so very smart getting the credit they deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Songland is really shining a spotlight on that and, and creating these conversations. I had never heard of Shane McAnally and Esther Dean, who are sitting right alongside Ryan Tedder. Yeah. Only know him, or at least I did, because of One Republic. And you have these two super talented people mm -hmm. that are behind these, these huge songs. So they're yeah. finally getting a platform. But I bet there are some songwriters who maybe like to stay under the radar. They're probably mm -hmm. getting their check and they can still go out in public. But yeah. it makes me wonder if that, I know I could, I don't know if I could ever write something I was so proud of and then hand it off to someone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the check deposits, whether you're famous or not, right? right. <laughs> the money still goes to the bank. I agree. It's, you know, it's one of those things where if you're a songwriter and you've got things you're trying to kind of get out of the world, yeah. it also comes back. Do you want to be a performer and have that responsibility too? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, getting back to Taylor Swift, she mm -hmm. credits journaling for really helping mm -hmm. her just gather her thoughts and her emotions. And sure. a lot of her lyrics start as rough drafts in her mm -hmm. journal. In fact, in her latest album release, Lover, she had four different versions of uh, this booklet that you would get with the album, and they had scans of her original journal entries. You oh, could cool. collect all four, depending on what your favorite songs were and what songs you wanted to see, how she, you know, it was Smart. all chicken scratch. Yeah. It was really interesting to see. So journaling is really her sort of strategy to help you know, create a song. What are some of your favorite copywriting tips or exercises when you sure. sit down at your desk? Like, what do you start doing to really just get the copy flowing? Yeah. Um, a, a lot of things. One of the things I do, not like kind of similar to Taylor Swift, it's not really a journal. I and mean, I have, as I'm sitting here at my desk, I can see like a half dozen notebooks of any <laughs> of various sizes and functions. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones I carry is this little leather one. Yeah. It's got a little field notes journal in it. And I'm constantly... Um, just writing stuff down because I realize <clears throat> that an idea for a client project to my own work is not necessarily guaranteed to come when I sit at my desk. Right. You know, ideas are not necessarily relegated to a place. Mm -hmm. And so I've just decided that I, somebody, I said something on Twitter about this the other day and somebody responded and said their dad used to tell them the shortest pencil is longer than your best memory. It's like, mm -hmm. what? So true, right? If I write stuff down, I remember it. So a lot of times, I will always carry a notebook with me so I can just capture ideas. Sometimes it's a phrase. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like um, if I'm working with a client, this happened the other night, I was getting ready for the bed and it, I wasn't even thinking about this client. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, like an idea just hit me. I was like, wait, I think that's how I should say this. And I wrote it down. And then when I sat down at my desk, I just started working on it and kind of refining it and putting it in there. I think it was writing a landing page or something mm -hmm. uh, for a client project. So that's one of the things is realize one ideas are not, are not relegated to your desk or to your workspace or to your time in front of a computer. So always have something available where you can capture things. The reason Taylor Swift has all that is because she's built her own system and built her own kind of process for capturing. So be ready to capture ideas anyway. The second thing I always do is I try to read things out loud when, after I've written it, reading it out loud is going to help you decide, does it sound like you or does it sound like your client? If it's for a client project, uh, it's going to help you figure out where the gaps are. You know, like this is one thing they do on Songland is they'll help you, they help songwriters who have an interesting song say, hey, there's actually a gap here. Like you were saying this and then it switched. And right. sometimes you either need an outside perspective or you just need to simply read it out loud. And you're going to go, wait, that actually doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> now I need to flip it. So right, reading it out loud is another one. Uh, one thing I try to do too, particularly with people who are trying to convey more of kind of a brand identity. And that's a whole other conversation. But it's like, if they're trying to, convey a tone or trying to convey some idea, what I'll typically do is say, okay, the, for example, I had a client years ago called Cornerstone mm -hmm. and they had picked their company name decades ago because they love, you know, the Cornerstone built on the foundation, et cetera. And so I thought, well, they love that. And they love that idea. That's what they named their company after. I thought, well, how can I infuse that concept into the content while still being clear, while still making sure we're really effective in what we create? So I, I just call it the fine 10 and I want to find 10 synonyms for the main idea I'm trying to convey. So I literally sat down on a piece of paper and wrote cornerstone and then tried to find at least 10 synonyms that are convey that. So it's things like strong or firm foundation or steady or, you know, those kinds of things. And so you can weave that in and it's a little clever, but you're weaving into reinforce a, a greater idea. Mm -hmm. um, 
so it's things like that where you how do you use language and imagery to reinforce it like uh the song that has been stuck in my head since episode one of season two of Songland, <laughs> champagne night that shane McAnally wrote uh-huh. I, I mean it literally has been stuck in my head for three weeks now that's the lady antebellum one right yeah the lady antebellum one, yeah <laughs> and it's like there's so many words and phrases and ideas that kind of keep coming back to convey the same thing so mm-hmm. i think in great copywriting it's figuring out how do you say the same thing without using the same words and reinforcing the central ideas um and then also in copywriting i think a little bit unlike songwriting is try to focus on the verbs because verbs are where the action is and that's how you move a story forward and so try to go back if if it's not sounding right or just feels clunky go back and literally underline where the verbs are and if you don't have many places to underline you need to rewrite it because every great story every great screenplay every great thing you read has verbs that keep you moving forward because this isn't literature class we're not writing poetry we're writing marketing copy Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to keep the thing. We have to keep things moving to keep people interested. Yeah, those are really great tactical tips. I know I seem to get all my ideas when I'm driving because you know you're completely disconnected. You got to pay attention to mm-hmm. the road, and it's really just me and the radio. So yeah. I'm always listening to lyrics and just listening really intently to how songs are worded. And you mm-hmm. might get your own idea based on a song that you loved. Yeah. So we talked about how songwriters don't really get as much credit as we think that they deserve. And I think copy as a, as a marketing you know, component doesn't get a lot of credit either. A lot of people overlook copy as something that can really move the needle or um, you know, really move things forward with, with your brand and your marketing. Yeah. And I know I've had clients that get kind of caught up in how things look and um, you know, especially with web design, they want the flashiest, brightest looking website and they forget just how important it is to have the right message. So how, how important would you say copy is in influencing your customer to take action and really convert? It is the, it is, I would argue selfishly, it, I'll, I'll admit it, like I'm biased. <laughs> I think copywriting is the fundamentally most important thing you can do in your marketing. Because if you know what to say, everything else falls into place. Mm-hmm. All right, for example, when we're going to work on a website project, uh, we always figure out what we're going to say first because by doing that, it actually helps inform a lot of the design decisions mm-hmm. because design should support what we're trying to convey. It should support our messaging. It should support the audience we're trying to engage. It should be a partner in all the things we're trying to get done. But people buy things after they read the words about those things, right? Mm-hmm. We buy things on Amazon not because of the image, but because we saw the, uh, we read the reviews or we read the description. You buy new products because of what you read on an Instagram ad. You buy things um, from companies you love based on product descriptions. Like we are constantly reading words and buying because of what we read. And so we have to get the words right because if we get the words right, we'll eliminate confusion. We'll make it easier for people to buy from us. And ultimately we'll let people know, Hey, this is the right product or service for your problem. Like we are the solution. We're the, we are solving the thing that you're struggling with. And if you don't focus on, if you don't focus on copywriting and spend some money on it, frankly, you are doing yourself a major disservice. Your website may be pretty, but it will also be pretty ineffective because <laughs> at the end of the day, nobody's going to know who it's for. Nobody's going to know what's going on. I see, I, I live and breathe this. So I see websites all the time. I click, I was like, this is cool. I have no idea what you're selling legitimately. Right. I'm trying and I'm professional with it. I, I genuinely have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you want at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So I think copywriting is, is the most important thing you can do because it'll inform everything else and it'll help you in your uh, brand. Because again, even though we're a visual society, the average person reads up to 100,000 words a day. We were constantly reading words. And so yeah. if you can get the words right, it's going to be much easier for your marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's words that resonate with us, resonate with our emotions. I mean, we could get into color theory and color psychology and all that, but colors and images don't really, in my opinion, speak to you in a way that the right words do. And that's why songs are such, you know, mm-hmm. move people in such big ways. Yeah. People, so I want to close. Oh, go ahead. There's no, you know, people aren't, um, there's no symphonies that are selling out arena tours, right? Like nobody is paying money to go to, um, the basketball arena or the NFL stadium here in Atlanta to go see the, you know, the Atlanta symphony orchestra. 
they're yeah. selling out a 700 seat theater, mm-hmm. right? Because we love music and we love this, you know, love the instrumental stuff and all that, but we want the stuff with words, yeah. <laughs> right? That's what we respond to. That's what we buy. That's what it's on our Spotify and our iTunes, Apple music is the stuff with words in it. And that's what people engage with in marketing as well. Absolutely. So speaking of that, I want to hear what your favorite song is from a lyrical standpoint. What song do you just think is an absolute work of art? <laughs> uh, that is a great question. So full disclosure, she sent me these questions ahead of time, and I yeah. thought a lot about this one. <laughs> um, I really did, and I, I, I'm terrible in life at picking favorites of anything. I just <laughs> am. Yeah. I can't pick a favorite movie. So (laughs) yeah, I have, you know, I have movies that I love. I have songs that I like. I have bands. I like, I'm not one of these people who just is like erratically committed to one thing as a fan. Yeah. Um, so as I was thinking about it, I'm like, what am I, what songs even, what do you do on that list in terms of top five or top 10? Um, because my challenge a bit too, is I'm also a musician. So I have, I have songs that I like to listen to from a musical standpoint and songs I just like to play as a guitar Mm -hmm. player. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry to stump you on that. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I would say one song that I I heard probably last year mm-hmm. um, that I thought was just fun and I thought was really well done was um, Luke Combs when it rains it pours. Uh huh. Yeah. He took a phrase that so many of us have heard and flipped it. If you haven't heard the song, it's basically um, about how he broke up with his girlfriend broke up with him and life just got great. Yeah. And it just chronicles all these things that happened. And it's just funny. It's really well done. It's kind of got this 90s country thing, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good one. Um, I mean, one that's been stuck in my head is that Champagne Night by the new Lady Annabella. I mean, it's good. I don't, I mean, it's just, I, I love how it was written. Yeah. Um, it's really smart. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, you know, I've mentioned Paul McCartney, the Beatles. I'm a big Beatles fan. So I love some of the stuff that he's written, particularly things like, um, uh, Hey Jude is a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these other really live and let die, frankly, is one of my favorite ones too by him uh-huh. because I also like James Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then again, I could also talk about Garth Brooks. I mean, Garth Brooks songs like Colin Baton Rouge or unanswered mm-hmm. prayers is a great one. Yeah. Um, I just, again, I, that's a hard question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I even, I even pulled up my iTunes and my Spotify. I was like, I've got so <laughs> many, so many songs that yeah, I like. Yeah. It's hard to, it's especially hard to pick in, in the country genre. I feel like mm-hmm. that's, Lyrics are really what got what turned yeah. me on to country. I mean, I grew up really in the bubblegum pop era. I was <laughs> boy bands and Britney Spears. I didn't get into country until I was in high school, and you know Taylor Swift came out, and, and the rest is history. There. So you're t- so you're telling me that uh, country songs are better than "I'm a Barbie Girl" by Aqua? Is what you're oh god, <laughs> that is a, a '90s classic. But yeah, that is a '90s something. <laughs> That is catchy. Oh my gosh. It's going to be in my head now. Um, do you know the fun fact about how um, Paul McCartney got the inspiration for the song Yesterday? I don't. He actually, it came to him in a dream. He mm. had the melody and instead of yesterday, I don't want to sing, but yeah. um, it, <laughs> in his dream, it came to him as scrambled eggs. That's funny. Scrambled eggs. And then he... Yeah. You know, he changed it and went with the melody and uh, changed it to yesterday. Another great <laughs> Beatles song. That's funny. Yeah, that's know a, inspiration will strike. <laughs> exactly. And you got whether you're a writer, whether you're a, a leader, I mean, any position you're in and in kind of life and work and creativity, inspiration can strike anywhere. And you just have, I saw somebody yesterday say, you are, you should be a collector of ideas because mm-hmm. you never know when you're going to need those ideas or how you can repurpose scrambled eggs into a classic like yesterday. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? I feel like you shed so much good light on just the connection between songwriting and storytelling. It makes me want to have a Spotify jam session after this. <laughs> but do you have any other quick tips or any other comments about Songland that you want to add? Yeah, I'd say if you haven't watched it, watch it. It is a fascinating look at, at another side of the music industry that is critical for your music, the music industry, the people mm-hmm. powering the greatest songs that you love. Um, and it's frankly just such a different pace of a show. I mean, we're so used to the American idols and the voice and the mass singer and all that other stuff. It's just such an interesting take on it. So I'd say absolutely watch it. You are watching people who are masters of their craft and you're, you're watching what happens when somebody becomes a master of their craft and what somebody can do as a master of their craft is they can bring better results much, much faster than amateurs. That's part of the difference in professional professionals and amateurs. 
Yeah. Um, so watch it. It's fun. You'll get to see some of your, some artists you love and some I'd never heard of. Like I'd never heard of her. I don't yeah. know who it is. <laughs> like, I'm so yeah. out of tune with what's top 40 <laughs> because between stuff I listen to at my desk and then we have a three and a five year old. So between Paw Patrol and Team Umizoomi and Octonauts and Blue, the Blues Clues reboot, what year are we living in? Oh gosh, yeah. Back. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say watch it. It's really interesting. You're watching Masters at Work. You're watching people who are really good at lyrics, but also more importantly, and Shane McAnally, one of the guys who talks about this a lot, is being able to find, he calls it the heart thread. It's find that central core main idea. And the clearer and the more concise you make that, the better your song is going to be, the better your marketing is going to be, the better everything you create is going to be. So yeah. that would be the uh, last thing I would say. Absolutely. And I think Songland is evidence that it's okay to have help when you're writing. I mean, copywriting mm -hmm. might seem overwhelming for people, which means one, they should hire you, but <laughs> two, you know, a lot of times having, you know, bringing people together, like you said, and putting sticky notes on a whiteboard and just having these sessions to really put your heads together. You don't have to come up with these great ideas all by yourself. I don't think mm -hmm. there are very, there are very few songs that are, you know, because of one person's ideas. So take the yeah, pressure exactly. off that. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. I'm looking forward to the, the next episode. Maybe we can regroup after Songland and um, maybe we might have some new takeaways there. But I hope there's going to be a season three because it, it really is such a great show. Yeah, there's got to be. I mean, Adam Levine and Maroon 5, he left The Voice to go be the executive producer for I saw um, that, Songland. yeah. yeah. I was doing oh. some research before this and I, I was surprised to see his name. Yeah. It really is like the voice. My, my husband was describing it to my mother-in-law and he said, it's like the voice, but for songwriting. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think they'll do it. They got some big names this year with Usher boys to men, which will be a really fun episode. Uh, Lady and a I think next year, I think it'll just keep growing. I think this is one of those shows. that's so interesting. It's so nobody's doing anything like it. And frankly, nobody else can do anything like it now. I mean, how are, how is ABC or Fox going to have a songwriting competition? Yeah. Because yeah. it's clearly a direct rip off of Songland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Song World. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you, what are they going to turn their chairs around? Like, the boy, like yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They kind of have it, have it locked down on that. Yeah. All right. Well, where, where can people follow you? Where can they learn more about your, your agency and your services? Sure. With you yeah yeah find me on twitter at at westgay i'm on linkedin linkedin.com slash whatever slash westgay facebook.com slash westgay instagram westgay and then uh, you find more about agency at hire h-i-r-e wayfinder.com so wayfinder w-a-y-f-i-n-d-e-r.com perfect thank you wes this was so fun maybe we'll live tweet on monday night the next episode of songland I'd for love sure your takeaway so thanks again yeah. Thank you. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe or better yet, leave a review. You can also join our Facebook group called Making the Brand Groupies for real time pop culture discussions you can actually learn from. As always, thanks for listening.